Good morning. Welcome in the Crossroads. If you're uh, visiting with us, we're glad that you're here. If you're joining us online, we're glad that you uh, stopped scrolling for a little bit and, and watched us on, online. Uh, thank you to those of you who came out Wednesday night to our uh, prime time. We had, I think, one of the biggest crowds we've ever had at prime time, and we realized that if we want to have a big crowd like that again, it's simple. We offer food, and we make fun of each other. Um, Wednesday was our roast of Brad Fangman, which also kind of turned into us on staff roasting one another. And if you missed it, it's available on our YouTube page. You can go watch it, uh, or on our Facebook page, you can watch it. But just a real quick um, synopsis, if you just kind of the, the whole hour in a nutshell, is Brad preaches for a long time, Ben is insecure about my height, um, <laughs> Phil has way too many roasts in his freezer, and Matt feels neglected. That's basically the gist of the entire uh, roast. Also, Tracy used to have hair, and um, Mark loves to hug. That was basically the whole gist of, of the roast of Brad Fangman and each other on Wednesday night. Uh, but uh, we're glad that you guys joined us with that. It was um, a fun way to honor Brad um, by making fun of him for, for 45 minutes. So if you know Brad, you know how much he actually really enjoyed and appreciated that because that's what he does to all of us all day, every day. It's very abusive in the office and I'm not going to talk about it anymore. Um, we're glad that you're here with us. We're in uh, week two of this series called Generous and I got a question for you. It's February now. Uh, who all felt like January lasted like 67 days? Like it just seemed like every year January goes forever and ever. But We've made it into February. Quick question, how many of you are still trying to find a home for some of the stuff you got for Christmas? Not just us, right? Like maybe parents, you're trying to find a home for the, the toys your kids got for Christmas, or like maybe there's still a stack of boxes in your garage, like you just haven't quite found a home for all of it just yet. Seems to be the case. Uh, we are very good at collecting stuff. And I've always said this to my wife, I said, you know, the one thing I want to do is make sure that we always at least can get our cars into the garage. I don't ever want to just have our garage so full of junk. Uh, we've been there before where, you know, maybe we could get one car in, but I said, I always want to make sure we can get both of our vehicles in. If we, if we can't, then we've got a problem. We need to get rid of some things. But that's what we do. We, we collect and we hoard and, and we've been trying to get our kids to go through their bedrooms and, and currently their stuff is overflowing into the hallway outside of their bedrooms and that's actually fairly normal for a couple of our kids. We, we, we collect, we hoard, right? We have a linen closet in our house. It's right outside of Titus's bedroom that's so full of random stuff. Guess what's the one thing we actually can't fit in there? The linens, yeah. There's like one shelf of sheets and then there's a bunch of, of wrapping paper and bows and gift bags and I'm not sure what some of the stuff on the top two shelves. I'm too scared to look up there to see what's on those, those two shelves. We, we collect things, right? And we, we discovered, Jennifer and I discovered, one of the best ways to avoid hoarding is move across the country every few years. Because you just naturally get rid of a bunch of stuff that way. But it, it can happen. Brad and I went through the process this week of starting to swap our offices. And that turned out to be a much bigger ordeal than I expected. I've been in my office... It wasn't too bad for me because I, again, went through everything just a year and a half ago, but then our offices flooded in the fall, so all my stuff was already still in boxes. Like, I went ahead and boxed it up in the fall, and I just didn't get it back out. Brad has been in his office for almost 20 years, and uh, it was funny, he, he left, he was so generous, <clears throat> he left, I think, around 400 books for me, because he didn't want them anymore, um, 
to go through, and I've spent most of the last two days going through all of those, finding stuff, some great treasures on like 1986 editions of books on uh, different things and, and uh, wonderful things to go through, but is this just not kind of who we are? We, we, we are a people who tend to collect things. How many remember the show Storage Wars? It may still be on, I don't know, I, don't, I never watched it or kept up with it, but I'm familiar with it, where they would unlock these storage units and see what's inside. And it may be treasures, it may be junk, you never really knew. But some people, they've got storage units simply because they've got too much stuff to fit in their homes. Now for some, there's a practical nature, but we, we used one for a year because we were uh, in transition and we were in a furnished apartment. We didn't need the furniture that we had had in our house, but we knew we would need it again soon. So we, we sorted away for it. There's a practical nature in some of these, but for some people, we just... We just have too much stuff. And I heard a, a phrase a, a few years ago that kind of stuck with me. It said, if you can't stuff your stuff in the house you own, you don't own your stuff. Your stuff owns you. And that really kind of hit me a little bit. Before we jump into today's uh, topic, I, I want to show you a word on the screen here in just a moment. And when, when you see the word, I want you to look to the person next to you on either side and say this word out loud. We're going to do a little exercise because I want to see how this word works. But it's going to be the theme of what we're talking about today. Show this word and then say this to the person next to you. Just say it once. Don't say it three times. Because some of you are saying it multiple times and you're changing your answer. Okay, because you guys know, this is two different words, right? Depends on how you pronounce it. The first word, if you put the emphasis on the first syllable, it's the word content. And that's a noun. That describes stuff. You know, the, 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 what goes into something else, the contents of a closet, the contents of our computer, the, the, the content is what we accumulate and acquire. If you put the emphasis on the second syllable, though, it becomes a verb. And it's the word content. Or it's an adjective. It describes kind of a state of being. In particular, it describes, excuse me, like a peace within your heart. And if you go back to the original Latin, this is actually the more appropriate way to pronounce this word and the more appropriate way to define this word because in the original Latin, this word had to do with a peace within you, a peace, almost a sense of tranquility that resided within you where we get the word content or contentment. And over the course of time, though, we've kind of become where these two words are synonymous, that content equals content, and that we, we find that peace, we find that tranquility when we acquire and accumulate different things. Uh, we've, we started this series last week called Generous, and, and the idea is to spend three weeks just looking at stuff, money, possessions, the, the, the chase after those things, because the Bible has a lot to say about this. In fact, somebody uh, one time at my, my last church said, man, you, you seem like you're talking about money a lot. I thought, well, it's like once every two years. I don't talk about it all the time. I've been in churches where we did talk about it all the time. I've been in churches where we never talked about it. But I said, if I laid out my preaching calendar and I preached on topics based on how often they appear in the Bible, guess what the number one topic's going to be? It's going to be money because the Bible has a lot to say about it. Why? Because I think God knows what money can do to us. 
Last week, we looked at the idea of ownership versus stewardship, that God owns everything, and he lets us have it to use for his glory. Today, we're going to build on that by a step and, and look at the stuff that he has given us, the stuff that we do own, the stuff that we have, and kind of what that means to us. And I want to look at two principles when it comes to this today, what, what our possessions and our money do to us and what the, the chase after those means for us. Here's the first principle. It's simple. Money is spiritual. Money is spiritual. And you may say, well, how in the world is money spiritual? We said this last week. Outside of your, your family and your kids, what do you value the most? Probably what you have, what you have in the bank, what, what you're able to do with that. Why? Because we need money to survive. You need money for basic necessities in life. You need money to, to basically do almost anything these days. There's, there aren't very many things that you can do that don't cost any money anymore. But the problem with it, as we're going to talk about, is too often we let it become a bigger thing than it really truly is. If you've got a Bible, we're going to camp out in 1 Timothy 6 today. We're going to be there quite a bit. We'll, we'll jump to some other spots, but that's going to be our primary text today is 1 Timothy 6. Up on the screens here if you don't have it. But starting in verse 6, here's what Paul writes. Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world and we can take nothing out of it. Now, when uh, my, my papa passed away, uh, this has been now about 12, 13 years ago, I think, uh, we, uh, we put different things in his casket. You know, we put a, like a Cardinals hat and a Yankees hat. He liked both of those teams. We put different things in there that, that you know, kind of meant something to him. But those just went in the ground with, with his casket. I mean, let's be real. He didn't take those anywhere with him. You can't take anything with you when you go. Uh, my my kids, we were playing the game of life the other day, and uh, it was kind of funny because I racked up a huge stack of money, but I had no children, and so I was telling my kids, man, this is the ideal life, you know, I'm like, I've got like five million dollars here and no kids to worry about, and my oldest goes, wait, are you, are you being serious? <laughs> Maybe, I, we'll just see, we'll see, there's a lot of game left to play, we'll see what happens here, and and then she starts asking me, well, well Dad, are, are you going to leave me anything in your will? And I said, no. I said, I'm taking every bit of it with me, Elsie. She, and then she goes, you can do that? <laughs> like, no, we can't take it with us, right? I mean, it says very clearly, we brought nothing into the world and you can take nothing out of it. It's easy to look at the Apostle Paul. And if you, if you study the scriptures at all, you know something about Paul. But he didn't really have it. Like, like Paul was a nomad. He kind of went from place to place. He didn't stay in one place for very long. A few months at a time, maybe a year to a year and a half was about the longest he would stay in a place, and then he would move on. He didn't acquire and accumulate things. He would work a job on the side so he could have enough to, to eat and to live on. But Paul didn't acquire and accumulate. So you can think, well, it's easy for somebody like Paul to say you don't need it because he didn't care about it. But Paul is pulling the, the, the classic preacher line here. He's just quoting somebody else. He's quoting other preachers. He's quoting the Bible in what he says because Paul's words are taken from two of the wealthiest people that we read about in all of scripture. The first is Job. Job chapter one. Here's what he writes. Naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will depart. <clears throat> Excuse me. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. The second person that Paul's quoting here is Solomon. 
Solomon, we read from Ecclesiastes 5, everyone comes naked from their mother's womb, and as everyone comes, so they depart. They take nothing from their toil that they can carry in their hands. What did Paul say? We brought nothing into this world. We can take nothing from this world. Now, if you don't know much about Job or Solomon, just real quick in a nutshell, Job is one of the earliest people we read about in the Bible. Now, if you read just straight through the Bible, he's later, but if you read it chronologically, Job actually comes very early in the story. We read about Job even before we get to Abraham in the chronological story of the Bible. Job was an incredibly wealthy man. In fact, it says that Job had seven sons and three daughters. He owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 donkeys, and a large number of servants. It goes on to say that he was the greatest man among all the people of the East. It says that he was blameless, that he worshipped and glorified God. But Satan was convinced that he only worshipped and glorified God because of everything that God had given him, of all the riches and all the wealth that he had. And so he put that to the test. And, and Job, you read the story, he loses everything. He loses all of his livestock. He loses all of his possessions, all of his wealth, even loses all of his children. And he's, he's tortured for years on end. And yet still, Job glorifies God. Solomon, on the other hand, he was a king. Uh, he, he was one of the kings of Israel. He was the son of David. And it's said of Solomon that he was the wisest man who ever lived. And, and many scholars actually believe that he was quite possibly the wealthiest man that ever lived. I don't know how true this is, but I, I read one uh, scholar write that if you took Job's or Solomon's wealth then and put it into today and you didn't adjust for inflation, he would still be the wealthiest man in the world. He had hundreds of billions of dollars at that time. You, know, you don't have to adjust it for him to still be that wealthy. And he lived a very lavish lifestyle. But by the end of his life... He looked back on it and he realized it was futile. And we know that because he wrote Ecclesiastes where he says the great line, meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless. He says it's like chasing the wind. And so it's easy to say, well, somebody who doesn't have much is very good at telling you you don't need much. But yet we're reading from two men who had everything. One, Job, had it all and lost it all. Solomon had it all and realized it wasn't remotely fulfilling in his life. See, we can so easily get caught up in this trap of consumerism and the allure of materialism. We, we want to chase after the newest thing, the latest and the greatest things that are out there. And advertisers are experts at not just showing you something that they want you to buy, but showing it to you in a way that appeals to you where you think that you need it. I got to take a marketing class when I was in college at OU. I was in the journalism school and marketing was part of that, so we took one class and, and Really what I remember from that class is we just talked about how to tap in to the different, different demographic types of people and what's going to appeal to them. And you see this because depending what show you're watching, that's kind of what the commercials are going to be. Like when I was a kid, I remember this uh, a kid you know, in the late 80s, early 90s. I'd be at my grandma's house. She'd always have it on CBS all day long. If you know anything about CBS daytime programming in that time frame, you know what demographic that's angled towards wasn't eight to nine-year-old boys, okay? And so we'd watch The Price is Right, and then she'd get into all of her stories, you know, all the soap operas all afternoon. And all the commercials were for things like denture cream and life insurance and AARP and stuff that didn't appeal to somebody like me. But yet on Saturday morning cartoons, it was you know, commercials for 
G.I. Joes or Ninja Turtles or Barbies or whatever latest toys were out there that kids would be interested in. This even spills over to radio, and it's hilarious because sometimes on a streaming radio station, they get it crossed. They, they click the wrong thing, put the wrong commercials in there. Usually they're very on par with what you're listening to, but when Elsie was a baby, I, I had a, a Pandora station pulled up. It was just this acoustic lullaby station, very soft music, very, very, I'd listen to this every night with her, you know, rocking her to sleep, and very, even the commercials were very soft-spoken. And they got crossed once because the song ends. And this guy comes on and he starts to yell. And he's like, you should get out. And I'm like, what are you doing? I've got a sleeping baby here. Know your audience. <laughs> but by and large, they do, right? They know who they're talking to. They know how to tell you what you need. They know how to package it in a way that lets you know, I need this. But folks, here's the truth of the matter. At our very core, we don't need more stuff. We need more God. That's really what it boils down to. We don't need more stuff. We need more God. Now, I got to pause here and be honest with you for a minute before I get into the next slide. Because every, every week, especially when it's a topic like this, I will hear from several people afterwards or, or during the week, I'll get an email, and somebody will say, man, that was a, that was a convicting sermon. Like, I, man, that... Maybe that stepped on my toes. Maybe that punched me in the gut a little bit. And, and usually they're saying that in, in a way of saying, I appreciate it. And, and part of me says, okay, that's my job. That's what I'm supposed to do. It's not to like step on your toes or punch your gut to be mean about it. I never want to be mean-spirited in how I preach anything. But that is my job, is to preach something convicting. Because if we ever get to a point where the word of God isn't convicting, then we're not paying attention to it. And if we get to a point where... Jesus is not convicting to us. We aren't worshiping Jesus anymore. We're worshiping our own creation. A Jesus that's not convicting is not a true Jesus. So I say that to say this, okay? <laughs> Side note. <laughs> I'm going to have a roast of me here in a few years where... <laughs> We had been here maybe like two weeks, and we were at a, at a coffee gathering. I know the Fogos were there. I can't remember who else was there. And they were asking me, just, hey, tell us part of your story, whatever. And I, I talked for a few minutes. I said, well, I say all that to say, and I kind of heard a, heard a noise. I looked over, and Pam Fogo was doing this. And if you know Pam, she's like the sweetest person ever. She's kind of got this face, and she's like kind of covering her mouth and looking down. And I said, what? And she goes, you said that. I said, what did I say? She goes, you said I say all that to say. I said, so? She goes, don't say that. That means you're going to talk for 20 more minutes. And <laughs> I'm like, so anyway, say all that to say. I don't even know what topic I was on now. I don't know where I was going with that. Sermons... Yes, there's times they're convicting, but this is a topic, I'll be very honest with you, this is as convicting for me as it is probably for any of you all, because this is a topic that I struggle with. I have a big struggle balancing greed and contentment in my life. I'm just always wanting more. I'm always wanting the next thing or the newest thing that's out there, and, and, and I'll go through periods of my life where I'm fine, but then there's also periods where I'm like, okay, well... 
I, I, was, I was content for a while, now I can go ahead and get whatever it is. So understand my heart behind this. I'm preaching this to you knowing this is a struggle for me. Okay? But it's, hopefully it's one we can embrace together. And we can work on together. Because Paul writes in verse 8 of 1 Timothy 6, if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. Now, how many of you, you're totally content with just your food and just your clothing and that's it? Okay? There's some... There are some, but there are a lot of us that, that that's not all we want. And, and there's a struggle here because I'm one of these that I like collections of things. I like my hobbies, and if I get into a hobby, I've got to have all the toys to go along with it, right? But how many of you are, are like me where you go after these collections of things, and it's like you get something new and you put it on your shelf and you go, that's it? I no longer want or need anything else in my life. I've got everything I could possibly want because I finished my set right here. Uh, again, we're, we've been going through our offices and, and putting, uh, putting uh, you know, books on shelves and trying to figure this out. And It's been my, my OCD is driving me crazy because my shelves are a little different size in the new office than they were in the old office. So some of the books spill over now and, and there, were, there were plenty of room on the last one. Now there's not. And, and Jennifer was making fun of me because she's like, well, just make it go down to the next shelf. I said, it's like one book. It won't fit, you know. She's like, we'll buy the rest of the set. And I said, I have the whole set. What do I do? Like, let's, you know, it's like this, this, we get into these mindsets sometimes of what should we do about this? And, and let's be honest, we're, we're probably in a time right now where when it comes to money, we don't feel like we can get enough. We, we touched on this last week. Inflation is up. All of these other things are up. Maybe you didn't get a pay raise to match it. At the, at the end of last year, and so things and possessions and money is kind of all one thing rolled into to a big ball, and we're trying to figure out what to do with this, and, and we're striving to get a little bit more or to find a little bit more in our budget because, you know, we've got bills to pay, food to put on, on the table, and, and groceries cost more right now, and, and often the problem that we run into, I've noticed this with myself, the, the issue of not having enough it's not because I don't make enough, it's because as my paycheck might increase, so do my hobbies. And maybe I gain more hobbies or I get more expensive hobbies or, or I think, you know what, we could bump up to that little more expensive package of Hulu this month. You know, like we just add to it to match what we're making. And often there winds up being the same amount of margin when it's all said and done. And often that's where we, we typically we get into. It's this snowball effect of I need a bigger and a better, and then I need bigger and better to match that bigger and better to go along with it. Folks, here's the problem. When we can't be content with our content, we're naturally going to find discontentment and dissatisfaction. And here's a truth that we need to, to think about. When we get dissatisfied with what we have, we can become discontent with the one who provides it for us. And this, for me, I will be honest, is a truth I can say about myself too many times. Because when I start to get a little bit discontent with what I have around me, or dissatisfied with what's around me, I start to blame everything around me for why I don't have that. Well, God didn't let me have this, or, or you know, everything else costing too much. or You know, I start to really, really find reasons why I'm discontent or dissatisfied. Paul warns us that that's a trap that that's a dangerous path we can go down. He says in 1 Timothy 6, verse 9, those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. 
For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Now pay attention to this passage. And actually go, go back one slide to the beginning of this, this passage because I want you to see what Paul writes and also what he doesn't write. Okay, he doesn't say it's sinful to be rich. Okay, God has blessed many people with, with abilities and talents and desires and, and, and put them in positions of jobs that have provided them a very good income and even you could call yourself a, a wealthy person. He says, though, those who make that their goal to get rich, that can be the ones that fall into temptation. Those can be the ones that can fall into the trap. And then he says, into many harmful and foolish desires that can plunge you in, into destruction and into ruin. And in verse 10, he says a line that I think is often misquoted. I've heard this a lot of times. People will say that money is the root of all evil. He doesn't say that. He says the love of money is a root of all evil. Again, the Bible has so much to say about money. And I think it's because God knows what money might do to our hearts. What it might do when we get more is going to cause us to strive and want more. But again, it doesn't say that it's sinful to have it doesn't say that it's sinful to be wealthy or to be rich. I, I've got the chance to meet some people when we were in Arizona that are incredibly wealthy people. We were at a multi-site church there spread all across the Phoenix Valley. And if you know anything about Phoenix, you know that Scottsdale is like the upscale suburb to live in, especially North Scottsdale. It's just home after home of multi-millionaire people. And a lot of them come to the, the church campus that was based right there. And it was a very unique campus where the staff all came from backgrounds that they either were wealthy or, or like we had a lady whose husband was a salesman that made a lot of money. We had a, a guy who was a campus pastor at the time. It was a former NFL player. Um, the guy who's the campus pastor there now is, is a friend of mine named Ross. And Ross comes from an interesting background because he grew up very blue collar, <clears throat> graduated college. Him and his sister started a business for... Uh, Assisted living facilities for seniors, it exploded and grew because they're smart with their business acumen. They sold it for eight figures. He was a multimillionaire before he came into ministry. He was serving at the church, and they said, hey, why don't you come on staff? So he joined the staff, and, and Ross is a guy who has all the money in the world working for a church serving Jesus. And the thing I admire about him is he doesn't shy away from it. He embraces it. He drives a nice car. He dresses well. He's a member of an exclusive country club. Uh, he, he lives the lifestyle, but that also doesn't define who he is. Like he, he doesn't rub anybody's nose and he doesn't just flaunt it or say, well, you know, well, I've got all this money. Let's go do such and such. He's able to tap into a group of people that I can't relate with. Uh, I, was, I was there for a semester at that, that campus when we were doing, doing our residency out there. I met a few different people for, for meetings or lunch at different country club restaurants, and I pulled up there, we had a little Chevy Metro, and I'm driving in there going, I am so far out of my element right now. <laughs> and I learned a lesson before that, but it didn't make sense to me till I was there, that when it comes to helping other people, especially with generosity, but also, too, when it comes to bringing the gospel to other people, we're all extremely comfortable reaching down the socioeconomic ladder. We're not very comfortable reaching up the ladder. Why? Because there's an intimidation there. Somebody said once the hardest mission trip anybody could take is to go to Wall Street and preach Jesus. And, and, and I see that with, with Ross because he's able to do that. 
He told me that one of the places that he played golf, he said, it's just CEOs of Fortune 500 companies. He said, it's not remotely unheard of to walk in the locker room after you're done with golf and somebody's going, hey, we're getting ready to hop on the plane and go to Atlanta. Want to come with us? That's just what they do. That's their life. He's able to to preach God to that that group of people because God knows Ross's heart. And God's honored that because the, the chase of money, the chase of a lavish lifestyle is not his focus. His focus is worshiping and serving God. See, I'm not going to promise you that God's going to bless you with just a flow of cash when you honor and bless him. I said this last week. That's the prosperity gospel. We're not going to preach that. I think it's a false gospel. Okay? God may bless you financially. He may not. He may bless you with material gain. He may not. That's between you and God. But here's what I do know, okay? Jesus told us that where our treasure is, that's where our heart is going to be. He told us that very, very clearly. So no, I'm not going to promise you that God's going to bless you materially if you up your giving or up your generosity. But I will promise you this. If you focus on earthly physical gain more than the kingdom, God's not going to be super excited to come bless that. He's not going to make it a priority to honor that for you. Again, money is spiritual. It's a spiritual part of our lives because we, we, we put so much focus and attention on it. But here's the second principle that's, that's the warning I want us to embrace and think about today is that money is spiritual, but greed is idolatry. Greed is idolatry. It's easy to think about greed as a bad habit or a bad attitude that we can have. And it is. It is a bad attitude, a bad mindset that we can have. But Paul actually takes it a lot deeper than, than just a bad habit or a bad attitude. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul says, Don't you realize that those who do wrong do not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sexual sin, who worship idols, who commit adultery, are male prostitutes, or practice homosexuality, or are thieves, or greedy people, or drunkards, or are abusive, or cheat people, None of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, you can look at this list here and think for a second, you know, okay, Paul lists 10 things there, and I look at this list, and okay, I'm, I'm okay. I mean, I, I, you know, don't cheat people. I'm not a drunkard. I'm not abusive. I don't cheat on my wife. I don't practice in, in, uh, sexual immorality. I'm, I'm okay. I mean, he does mention greedy people in there, but, you know, uh, it's okay. I, I, it's it's not, not, not that big of a deal. But look what he writes in Colossians. Colossians chapter 3, he says, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed. What's that he says? Which is idolatry. He puts greed in the list with some other heavy stuff. And you may say, well, I don't, I don't do any of those first, first five things in the list there. Well, he puts the six right there with it. He puts them all together. See, here's the problem with idolatry. We may not even realize we're doing it. Idol worship is when you put anything as the object of your focus in worship ahead of God. And even if you put it on the same, same level with God, greed is when you want something that's physical more than what God has already given to you. It's when he, you strive for something and you make it a bigger deal than where you've already been blessed. And specifically, greed is claiming that God hasn't provided enough for you, so you need to take matters into your own hands and acquire more. Now again, I'll be honest with you, I'm guilty of this. It's a struggle for me at times, okay? I, 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 I wish I could say that I'm always content all the time with everything that I have. 
but it's something that I have to work on and struggle with. And I think the last couple of years have made this a little bit more difficult because we went through a stretch of a couple of years where we had things taken away from us. We, we couldn't do the things we wanted to do. We couldn't get some of the things that we wanted to get or even needed to get. And I think now that we can, it, it's like we're suddenly trying to grab everything that we can to make up for lost time. And it wasn't even like it was a contentment that we, we wanted. It was a contentment that felt forced on a lot of us. But that's the problem where, where greed comes from because greed is a direct result of not finding contentment. It's a direct result of not being able to find that. And, and I think the, the idea of this, it's not like you say, well, I've got all this and now I want to get all of this too. We don't typically go with it like that. I, at least I know I don't. I, I've said this, I... I always tell Jennifer, I'm like, you know, my, my list of wants aren't unreasonable, you know, because <laughs> that's clearly defined, right? Like, you know, I mean, I'm just saying I, I'd like to be able to go to a Chiefs game or go to Royals games whenever I want to. I don't have to sit in the suites, you know. I just, I'll just take another good seat somewhere, right? Like, I don't need the best of the best. I just need what I'm able to grab a hold of, like... You know, that's, that's where we, like, I don't, I don't need the new $2,000 TV. I just need the one that's like $500, that's 70 inches wide, you know. We never necessarily want everything. We often want just a little bit more. And that's where the danger comes in, because it's easy to stop ourselves from wanting the big everything, but it's that little bit more that can become the trap. Most millionaires aren't necessarily looking for their next million. They're looking for their next... 50,000. They're looking for their next little bit more. And, and what happens is often a little bit more starts to snowball and all those little bit mores become one big snowball that rolls downhill. And the problem that we get into with this is if greed is a direct result of not finding contentment, that comes from the foundation of comparison. Because we see what everybody else has and we see more specifically what we don't have. And I know for me, seeing what I don't have blinds me to seeing what I do have. Seeing what I don't have distracts me from where God has already blessed me with what I do have in my life. In comparison, it's all about what? It's about somebody saying, man, that's a, that's a nice looking truck you got there. Those are some nice shoes. Man, you guys got to go to Hawaii. That is awesome. What are we doing? We're letting people tell us how great things we have are and how great we are because we have them. Paul says in Galatians 1, he says, am I trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Am I trying to please people? If I were trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. And that's an easy trap to fall into. Maybe one of the easiest traps that we can is somebody telling us, man, that's awesome. Glad you got that. Because it just makes us feel good. Getting likes on Facebook, getting stuff shared on, on social media, Having somebody brag about you to somebody else feels good. But that just falls us into the trap of the world uh, of, of recognition and glamour and glitz, and, and we're warned not to do that. Romans 12, it says, Don't copy the behavior and the customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Man, for me, that's something that I need that prayed over me on a regular basis. Uh, I, this is a verse that I, I try to keep visible where I can see it because it's one I need the reminder of. See, it's, it's so easy to see what everybody has and what they're doing and for us to want to keep up. It's, 
it's not even necessarily about keeping up with the trends, okay? It's about the priority that we make those trends in our lives. I would say God gave us the emotions of happiness and joy. He gave us those feelings, and he gave us an incredible world to experience, and I think he wants us to experience it, but it can't become a bigger priority than chasing after him. Because I could get all the, the recognition in the world, I could get all the adoration in the world, I could have every toy and be the envy of every person out there. The question you have to ask is, what's more important to you? Living a glamorous life that everybody wants, it says, man, I'd love to be him. Man, I'd love to be her. We're living a holy life, chasing after the God of all creation and humbling yourself daily to, to worship and pursue him. Again, the foundation for greed is comparison. But the good news is there's an antidote. The antidote for greed is generosity. It's learning to let go of what you have. I said last week that God blesses some people because he wants us to be a river and not a reservoir. And he said last week that if, if God's given you more than you need, it's probably not your needs that he had in mind. I, I heard a phrase from a pastor one time. It says, if you can't loan it, don't own it. And I thought, man, I think that's me. I've got a lot of stuff, but I like to have it where people could come get it if they needed it. I went through hundreds of books down in my office. I like physical copies of books because I want to loan them out. I don't like reading on a screen really anyway. It's kind of one of the few places where I'm probably more Gen X than millennial with that, but I like physical copies of books, but I like to give them away or hand them out or let people take them and, and, and use them like I've used them. If you can't loan it, don't own it, okay? And the other side of this is if you have plenty of stuff, man, learn to give some of it away. Learn to give some of it away. I was uh, cracking up when, when Phil uh, announced, you know, to us as, as a staff and eldership that he was going to step in to do this, this missions uh, track that he's going to do and learn to be a mechanic. And he said one of the things he has to do is he has to acquire tools, and I can't remember which one of the elders it was, if it was uh, Bob or Chris. One of them was very generous to give Brad Fogo's tools to, to <laughs> Phil for this. Um, Fogo didn't go along with it, but you know, they, were, they were just exuding generosity of somebody else's stuff, right? But no, seriously, if you have plenty, learn to give it away. Because again, where your treasure is, there your heart is. I, I like how the message translation says these words of Jesus. It says, the place where your treasure is. The place that you most want to be, that's where you'll end up being. That where your treasure is, where you long to ultimately wind up, that's where you're going to find yourself. Because the key to ultimately becoming more generous is to become more like Jesus. To become more like him who gave us everything. I said last week, you cannot outgive God. You can try, and I would challenge some of you to try. If you, if you don't believe me, try it. But we think about giving away, we think about stuff. But what's John 3, 16 say? For God so loved the world that he what? He gave his only son. And that for us is the ultimate gift. It's not about acquiring things. It's not about trying to gain stuff. It's about lining our hearts up with God. A generous God who gave us so much and continues to do so. And that's the challenge for all of us today. So here's kind of a challenge and a takeaway for you, kind of an exercise I want you to do sometime this week. Make a list of what you need versus what you want and see which one fills up quicker. Now there's some stuff that are needs. 
And maybe your need kind of spills over to a want, but you could scale that want back and make it more of a need. You may say, well, I, I need a new car. Okay, well, but do you need that fully loaded one or do you want the fully loaded one? Well, like, what do you need versus what do you want? I, I need food on the table. Okay, do you need the prime steaks or can you get by with something else? What do you need versus what do you want? Make those lists. See which one is longer. And if your want list is a lot longer than your need list, in terms of practical things, pray that God would open your heart up, that he would soften it, and that you would see what you really truly need is just Jesus and everything that he's already put out there in front of you. It's a challenge. I know it's a challenge. It's one for me that I'm not very good at very often, but I'm trying to get better at. Let's pray. Father, we're so grateful, God, that you've given us so much. And God, I know sometimes it's hard for us to see that. It's hard for us to see our blessings because we get so caught up in just seeing what we don't have. God, I pray that we would always be aware of those. And and God, that we would embrace the idea that one of the best solutions for this is simply to be grateful for what we do have. That gratitude can go so far into not blinding us to where you've blessed us already. God, I pray for anybody who is in a position of need right now, Lord, you would, you would bless them. And God, you would speak to those who you have blessed beyond measure. And God, let us be rivers, not just reservoirs. Let us be the avenue by which you can bless them. God, I pray that anybody today who struggles with contentment, God, myself included, that we would just be reminded that you're all we need. You're all we need. God, keep us ever mindful that you gave us more than we could ever even want to begin with, with Jesus. You gave us more than we could ever hope for, we could ever accumulate or acquire on our own. Help us to remember him in all things. Pray this in his name. Amen. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son. And whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. As we step into our time of communion, that's what this is all about. Remembering that gift that God gave to us. Not just the gift of his son, but the gift of life through his son. Redemption and restoration. That's what this is about. The, the, the piece of bread that represents his body, the, the juice that represents his blood that was broken and shed for us so that we could have life. Father, we're so grateful for your son, Jesus. And God, I pray today as we take this that we would honor you, we bless you, and we would do all things remembering you. We pray this in Jesus' name.